it's a chief in the north first an emergency podcast because the chiefs just traded for one of the best corners i've ever reviewed if not the best corner i've ever reviewed let's talk some chiefs guys Welcome to the Chief of the North podcast. I am your host, Minnesota Chiefs fan, or Seth Kaiser. Um, <laughs> it is an interesting day to be a Chiefs fan, and I mean that in a very, very good way for a lot of reasons. Uh, obviously, if you're listening to this, you know that the Chiefs pulled the trigger on the trade that everyone knew was probably coming, um, trading Alex Smith away to a team that was unexpected for me, to the Washington Redskins, getting a th- their third-round pick. And, and this is something, again, I didn't really expect this part of this. I assumed it would be all draft picks. A Kendall Fuller, who is, yes, Kyle Fuller's brother. He's He was just a third-year player now this upcoming year. Um, played almost exclusively slot corner during his time with Washington. Um, and so that's, that's that. That's the end of an era in Kansas City. Obviously, the reason that I'm having an emergency podcast is because I – Went back and reviewed an unusually large number of Kendall Fuller's snaps for, on all 22 and charted them because that's what I do, right? That's my job. I, I watch things and I stay up all night. That's actually how this ended up this time is I literally stayed up all night reviewing the film so I could get the article out today. It's actually available for you right now on Arrowhead Pride. I think I entitled it uh, Kendall Fuller Film Review. How could the Redskins trade this guy? Um, because he was that good on my film review. And we'll get to him in a little bit um, because there's a lot to talk about there. I was really surprised. I love the trade. I love it. I love that they got a guy who they can make an impact right now as well as a draft pick. To me, that's way better than just a couple of draft picks. The draft is much more of a crapshoot than anyone wants to admit. Even good Good GMs whiff on draft picks. It just happens. And so getting a guy who's proven he can play in the league, I'll take that all day. Especially a guy who is only going to be in his third year, who's on a very cheap rookie contract still, and has played as well as he played. I I think he's 22 at this point. Um, Maybe 23. It's just ridiculous how great that move is. And you can tell that the move is great because it is universally being called a fleecing guys who cover guys and gals who cover the, the the Redskins are calling it a fleecing analysts who don't cover either team, but cover the, the game nationally. They're calling it a fleecing. Everyone is calling it a fleecing. Every single analyst I have talked to about Kendall Fuller has raved about him. Every single one of them, including say Ian Wharton, who does great work on corners. If you don't follow him on Twitter, you definitely, definitely should. Um, just multiple guys. They, there's, it's just universal that he played extremely well last year. But I'll talk about his film in a minute. Um, first, obviously, this means the end of Alex Smith's time in Kansas City. And so I, I'm, I'm, I've been trying to think of, of Alex Smith's legacy. I'm probably going to be writing an article on him, but maybe not. You know, Maybe I've said after, oh man, uh, uh, dozens of articles and literally probably 100,000 words at this point, maybe more, actually, when I think about it. Maybe I've written everything there is to be written about Alex Smith. My, my opinion on him is very well known. He's a, he's a decent to good quarterback with a very specific set of strengths and weaknesses. Um, he, he, he played better in 2017 than I ever thought he could uh, at certain points. 
he's he's also a great team guy. He was just such a pro in how he handled this Mahomes thing. And you, lest you start feeling too sorry for him, uh, you know he went to uh, he went to Washington and got seventy million dollars in guaranteed money. So I think Alex is doing fine. He also goes to a, a good system with Jay Gruden coaching. Uh, so I think he's going to do well there. However, it's weird, you know. Alex Smith has been the quarterback for five years, and I learned that five years my my role at Arrowhead Pride has expanded from kind of writing the odd article here and there and maybe reviewing a little film to something a lot bigger. And my role has generally become much more film analyst and a little more serious over the years as I learned more and more about football and treated it more like a job than just some hobby that pays a little bit. And so a lot of what I've learned about reviewing quarterbacks came from watching Alex Smith. And I would always, I would watch other quarterbacks like Derek Carr or Tony Romo or Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady to try to get a frame of reference. But the bulk of the snaps I've watched have been Alex and I've watched every snap since he became a chief. So it's a bittersweet thing. It really is. Alex is a pro. He brought a sense of legitimacy to the chiefs along with Andy Reed that I don't think they could have come as far as they did as fast as they did had it been some other quarterback and not Alex Smith. Um, the the turnaround that they performed from 2012 to 2013 was huge and incredibly impressive. They went from a joke of a franchise, 4-12, and uh, considered one of the worst couple teams in the league, you know, first overall pick, to a team that that made the playoffs, that that played well consistently. They made the playoffs four to five years, probably would have made the playoffs that fifth year had it not been for a couple of really key injuries. Yes, people are going to remember Alex's failures in the postseason, but you know what? Not all the failures in the postseason were on Alex. He played brilliantly against the Colts. He's one of the few players who showed up against the Patriots a few years back when pretty much the entire team was decimated by injury. Uh, Him and Jason Avant were the only guys on offense that really showed out because Travis Kelsey was being bracketed literally the entire game. Um, He he, he did what he could. He had some playoff failings as well against Pittsburgh and against Tennessee. But overall, I really hope people one day, especially the more distance we get, and it was interesting, even right after the trade, people were already talking about Alex more positively than they had in a while, depending on the person. There's some people, oh, thank goodness he's gone. He's just like Matt Castle. I'm sorry. If you think that's the case, you're wrong. Alex Smith was arguably, I would say, and I would take the side of it, the best Chiefs quarterback over you know a period of time since Len Dawson. Uh, Montana was was good, but he was only there a couple years. And I think I think Alex did a great deal with a lot less than Trent Green. Um, you know, Green had the best offensive line in history, the, one of the best running attacks in history. He had Fast Eddie. He had Tony Gonzalez. He, he he had a lot to work with that Alex didn't necessarily. And so, I mean, Alex, he, he did so much for the franchise. Um, when they drafted his clear replacement, he handled it like a pro. He didn't throw a fit. He helped groom the guy. I mean, he was just great. He was legitimately just wonderful about it. Alex Smith, uh, I don't know if he's a Ring of Honor guy. I don't think so. I wish I wish they would have won a Super Bowl so he could have walked away a Chiefs legend. But he should be a quarterback Chiefs remember, Chiefs fans remember very, very, very fondly as a guy who helped right a ship that was that was rocking in the waves. He helped 
calm things down. He helped bat in the hatches. He helped, you know, bail out the leaking water. He helped patch up the boat and he helped create a lot of fun memories in the meantime. Yeah, there were some bad moments too, but the good moments vastly outweigh them. Um, I'm going to miss having Alex Smith as the Chiefs quarterback. Uh, Naturally, I'm very excited about the Patrick Mahomes era. So, but you know, we can talk about that another time. I've talked a ton about Patrick Mahomes already, but Alex's legacy in Kansas City should be a very, very positive one. And anyone who tells me otherwise, well, I think you're wrong. So, what are you going to do? But enough about Alex. I wish you the best there, Alex Smith. Not that you'll ever listen to this because you've got much better things to do with your time because you are a very, very, very wealthy, successful man. But I, I just, I hope, I hope Alex goes on and crushes it. I really do. Um, because I think Mahomes will be good enough that I don't think it's going to matter unless Alex goes full Aaron Rodgers. So I hope Alex goes on and he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFC and he just crushes it. I really do because I think he's worked like a dog and he's earned everything that he's gotten. He's fought and clawed for it and I respect the daylights out of him. So Kendall Fuller. As a lot of you know, I, I I do cornerback film reviews. I've done a lot of them over the years. I did it for Sean Smith when he was in town. I did it for Marcus Peters early on and later. I, I did it for Philip Gaines. I did it for Steven Nelson. I did it for Terrence Mitchell. I did it for Kenneth Acker. I did it for Revis. I, I've reviewed quite a bit of cornerback film. Um, my, my, my methodology has refined over the years. I think I've gotten a little bit better at it. And one problem with cornerback film is even a course of three or four games can contain really good traits and multiple good games and so cheese fans tend to be a little bit leery about corners because philip Gaines really flashed for for in limited time he looks really good terrence mitchell last year flashed even over a longer period of time marcus cooper flashed before getting exposed by by peyton manning and so cheese fans are in a very oh i've been hurt before mentality with corners and i get it um so i'll say all that with i'll, I'll talk about kendall fuller's film with that in mind however first things first he is universally, like I said earlier, talked highly of. Um, whatever you think of pro football focus, they rated him as, as their sixth-ranked cornerback in the entire league this last year with a 90 overall grade. Now, the numbering system is a bit of an issue for me and all that, but they do watch the snaps. They do put in the work. They are another informed opinion, and it's worth a lot more hearing what they have to say than some random person on the street, and that that's a big deal. Like I said, Ian Wharton called him the best slot defender in the NFL last year, and Ian Wharton is, in my eyes, the best cornerback uh, authority that you can find anywhere. Uh, his, his work is absolutely unbelievable. You got to find him on Twitter. He's exceptional. Uh, any, any analyst, like I said, that I've talked to has raved about him and that's over a full year's worth of work. Now he had a bit of a struggling rookie season in 2016. I had a few people claim to me, well, that's because he was playing the boundary. Whereas, you know, in 2017, they moved him to the slot. That's not exactly true. I, I, I only, I jumped around here and there just to make sure that that wasn't true. So I watched some snaps from 2016, not a ton, but I jumped around in about four different games, watched, you know, just clicking randomly on snaps. And he was in the slot every time for 20 to 25 snaps. That gave me a large enough sample size to say, okay, a lot of the time he was still playing the slot. Um, so I, I don't I don't really buy that. What is actually a lot more realistic, I think, he had an injury concern coming out, which is what dropped him from a first round prospect to a third round prospect, and he was still recovering from a torn ACL 
in his rookie year. I think that was the real reason. And that's what other people have, have said they thought the per- reason was. Also, he was a rookie. Most rookies don't play particularly well. It wasn't a boundary corner slot corner issue because what I found people who have asked, you know, did he play boundary or slot? He played almost exclusively slot corner. However, because of alignments and because of routes, and because of zone coverages and because of different things that the Redskins do, he did have to play boundary corner at times, despite being the full-time slot corner, if that makes sense. So it's not like he never has used the sideline. they never used the boundary. I can't tell you exactly how comfortable he looks with it, but he doesn't look uncomfortable with it. And so I've had a lot of people ask me, oh, is, is he just going to be the full-time slot guy? Or is he going to be the number two corner? Based on the film I watched, I think he could absolutely be a guy who plays the vast majority of the snaps opposite Marcus Peters. And then he could be the guy who slides inside on nickel sets, dime sets and all that. Um, But I think he's got the talent to be a boundary corner. Absolutely. No question. And before you talk about size, he's literally one inch shorter than Marcus Peters and he has the same length of arms. So that doesn't really add up to me. And we'll talk about skill set here in a bit, but first I want to talk about numbers. So if you follow what I do at all, this might be a bit of review for you, and I'm sorry for that. But when I when I track what a corner does, I watch every coverage snap, right? And I group the snaps into three categories, successes, failures, and neutral. And that's obviously success, failure, neutral in coverage. A success is just what it sounds like where he clearly, whether it was in man or zone, zone's a bit more complicated, executed his job and created a situation where a catch would have been incredibly difficult. It's never impossible. There's no such thing as perfect coverage. Remember that Julio Jones catch in the Super Bowl um, or that Edelman catch in the Super Bowl? Or, you know, they, these are just the, sometimes a great throw and a great catch will overcome great coverage. There's no such thing as perfect coverage where there's literally no way to make a catch. What I'm looking for is would the quarterback and wide receiver both have to make a really good play to succeed? If that's the case, the corner has done his job. Make him earn it because usually a quarterback will look away from that situation. That's a success. A failure is allowing NFL level separation or getting lost in your zone and not realizing that a receiver has crept in there, getting turned around, getting sucked up by a play action fake, that kind of thing. It's pretty basic, you know, success, fail. It's pretty easy to tell the difference between the two. Um, neutral plays, those are a little more complicated. Oftentimes those are in zone coverages where they don't end up with a heavy responsibility. Um, or, and by that, I mean, you know, a a receiver doesn't really come into their, into their zone, right. Or a, an immediate throw to the other side of the field. Let's say, let's say Fuller's playing in the slot on the left side and the throw is an immediate bubble screen to the right side. Well, he didn't do anything that play. So it's a neutral play, right? So Generally speaking, when I chart things this way, I look for a failure rate that is lower than 20% or so, 20-25%. Playing corner in the NFL is hard. You're rarely going to have guys that don't get burned that often. It's just not the way it works. Under 20%, for me, is where the line is to where you played well. I can handle between 20 and 25%. Once you start getting over that, I start getting concerned. Well, here's the deal. 
Um, Kendall Fuller kind of almost broke my system to an extent because I reviewed the Philadelphia, Oakland, Seattle, and Arizona games. The reason I did that is because they have strong receiving cores, especially slot receiver types. Uh, in those four games, his fail rate was 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 12%. And I was trying to be a harsh grader there. I, some of those were borderline, to be perfectly honest. That is a really, 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 really – well, it's the best I've ever tracked. Better than Peters, better than Sean Smith, better than Revis. Not Revis at his absolute peak, but Revis – uh, in 2016 when he played decently down the stretch, but not incredible. Uh, Revis's fail rate was actually pretty low there too, but not as low. And his success rate in which you've got basically blanket coverage wasn't nearly as high. Fuller's success rate was 42.1%, which is quite high, actually. It's, uh, it's, it's very impressive for a corner to be that in position that constantly. Um, he just he's a tough guy to burn. And we'll talk about the film after our break. I'm talking about the numbers right now. In the four games I watched, he allowed four or six catches for 54 total yards. Um, and he knocked down or intercepted seven passes. So in other words, he defended more passes. He knocked down more passes than catches he allowed. He only allowed 54 yards, didn't allow a single touchdown. And if you look and the information's out there, if you look at Ian Wharton or if you if you follow Pro Football Focus on Twitter, um, you see that he, out of all slot corners, he allowed the lowest QB rating when targeted. It was something like 55.1 or something like that, something very close to that. He just played extremely well. His numbers, his raw numbers using my system are borderline absurd. They are absolutely elite. Um, I was so impressed with how often he held up. And remember, this is playing against, uh, when they played Oakland, he was often lining up against Roberts, but he, he lined up against every receiver Oakland has to offer. He lined up against multiple receivers from Philly, including, and I always butcher his name, Agholer, Agholer. I, I always get it wrong, even though I like him as a receiver. He just had a great season. He couldn't assert himself against Fuller. And then against Seattle and Arizona, he was often lined up against Doug Baldwin with Seattle, who is arguably the best slot receiver in the NFL or at least one of the most productive ones. And then you've got against Arizona, he was constantly lined up against Larry Fitzgerald, which I had someone say to me, Larry Fitzgerald isn't good anymore. Go watch the tape. Yes, he is. He had 1,150 yards last season with garbage at quarterback. Larry Fitzgerald is still good, incredibly impressive. And he could not do much at all against Fuller. He actually is the one guy that had like a, a genuinely big play against him in the four games that I watched. He had one 25-yard catch, which accounts for, as you can see, when the total's 54 yards, nearly half of the yards was that one catch. Um, Fuller's raw numbers were incredibly impressive. I, I, my mind was blown as I was watching it. It's, uh, he, he just played incredibly well last season. Everything that I saw on film stands right by what Pro Football Focus is saying, what Ian Wharton is saying, what other analysts are saying. Um, what what Redskins players are saying, what Redskins fans are saying. A lot of them, you know, Redskins players, according to Adam Schefter, at least one of them said they thought that he was their best player last year on defense. A bunch of fans have been saying that too. I mean, uh, Swearinger was irate. He thought it was a joke. And everything I saw on film confirmed that. He was spectacular on film numbers wise. We're going to take a quick break and then I want to talk about specifically what he did on film. Since this is an emergency episode, we're just going to do one break, two long segments. So right after this, I'm going to get into the traits that I saw on film that made him so impressive. And yeah, we're all just going to have way too much fun that it almost feels illegal. All right. We're talking about 
Kendall Fuller, new Chiefs corner. Once the once the trade is finalized. Oh, by the way, I've had people ask, you know, is there a chance Washington just pulls out of this? Let's not counter chickens. It is unprecedented for a team to come to an agreement like this, where they've worked out the contract with the player who's traded, they've worked out the trade, they've worked out the terms, and they have literally agreed and then back out. These types of deals happen all the time. I've, I, I've searched. I couldn't find a single case where a team backed out. The Redskins, I don't even know if the league would let them do that, for one thing, because of the precedent it would set for every other team. And what I think would happen, I think the Redskins would almost get the equivalent of, of the trading death penalty with other teams, even if the league itself didn't retaliate. So I have zero concern that that happens. I guess there's that, yeah, I guess there's that 0.000001% because anything can happen, but no. That's nothing. There's no precedent for that. Um, the Redskins would be absolutely outcasts, even if the league allowed it. And they wouldn't even risk it because they don't even know if the league would allow it. And again, it's not like they didn't consider who Fuller is or the fan backlash before they made this move. They think Alex Smith is their franchise quarterback. So I wouldn't worry about that. Let's talk about Fuller's film. When I, when I watch Corners... I, I tend to look for a few things in particular. I, I want to look at their footwork. I want to look at if they get their head turned around. I want to look at their ability to mirror wide receivers routes. I want to look at how they do in man versus zone. I want to see how they contest the ball. Uh, there's a lot of things to, to look for. Um, but some of the, the most important things to me are, are footwork. That's that's the main thing, because from your footwork comes everything. If you've got a smooth back pedal, if you don't take false steps, and if you've got quick feet, you can stick with almost anyone. Uh, if you've got great footwork, you don't even need to be naturally quick, although I obviously look for a player's top-end speed as well as quickness. And so those are some of the things that I look for. There are other things, too. I, I wanted to see how he does you know, breaking on the ball when it's in the air. Uh, contesting at the catch point, how does he tackle, all kinds of stuff. I can tell you after watching, um, it's tough to find, at least based on 2017's film, a weakness in Fuller's game. Um, It was tough for me to find things I didn't like, but I'll start with that. Uh, If I was going to be picky, I would say his top end speed is not that high. I would would put him maybe a tad faster at top end speed than Marcus Peters. Um, so if he gets beat, he's not going to be able to run the guy down from behind like a like a like a Pete, like a Patrick Peterson can, right? He does not have that elite speed. However, it's it's good, and I wouldn't put him in elite or very good. I also saw him a few times guess wrong and end up breaking in the wrong direction on a route. However, that's mostly it. Honestly, at least with the 2017 film, I didn't look at his rookie year and I've been told that it's not nearly as good. Uh, So again, one year doth not necessarily a star corner make. However, over a full 16 games, when you play this well, it's hard for me to say it's more likely than not that you're going to not be a good player. The next year, you know, we can talk about, you know, Terrence Mitchell played well for five or six games. He played very well. However, he did not play nearly as well as Fuller. And he also demonstrated some real issues with regards to top end speed. His top end speed wasn't even good, right? It was maybe average at best. He also was way too grabby. And this year that really caught up with him. The biggest thing that changed for Mitchell this year, penalties. Refs started calling him for the same stuff he was doing last year and just wasn't getting called. Um, Now, I hope Mitchell bounces back and I think he's still an okay corner. I love him as a depth guy and I think he's competitive. But, you know, the, the reality is to compare him to Fuller is a pretty false 
comparison. And all you got to do is look at the grades of objective analysts comparing the two to see that. Um, Philip Gaines never had more than three or four games where he looked really good. And he did. He looked great in those games, but it was three or four games. Uh, Marcus Cooper was even, it was like four or five games where he looked really good against really bad quarterbacks. And so it's just, it's not the same thing, guys. You can relax a little bit. I promise. Now, predictive analysis, this is how I phrased it in the article I wrote. Predictive analysis is tricky in football. And just because a player did great one year doesn't mean he'll be great the next year. We really never know, except when it comes to guys that have been doing it for like, you know, five or six years, right? And even then guys backslide, we never literally know for a fact how a guy is going to be. But all we can do is say, well, what is the evidence most likely point to. And so I, I, I will just, uh, I'll just say what he does well, at least on film. And this is over the course of every game. It wasn't, you know, most of the time. And if he could keep this up, I mean, it was constantly, um, Fuller demonstrated great footwork for starters. He, he, again, he's got a, he's got a really smooth back pedal. He is able to go in and out of breaks with receivers with absolutely no problem whatsoever. He doesn't cross his feet much. His balance is excellent. And that great footwork is 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 complemented by the fact that he's very quick naturally. He is he he's not a burner, like I said. His long speed isn't great. Um it's decent, but it's not great. However, he's very, very quick. Now, is that just because of the footwork or is he naturally quick? He looks pretty athletic to me. Um and, but either way, it doesn't really matter why. What matters is I watched him up against a number of routes. And remember, playing out of the slot is incredibly difficult because you don't have a sideline to work with. Um, and, he, and, and, you know, we've, we've gone past the days of, oh, well, you know, the slot wide receivers aren't as good. Well, that's just not true. There are a ton of guys who line up in the slot who are exceptional. Uh, and that's, that's just how it is. Even, you know, number one receivers or whatever. I mean, Antonio Brown lines up in the slot all the time. So I mean Julio Jones even does too. The the days of of one of of you know boundary wide receivers versus slide receivers, that's over. It really is. And he was able to stick with all kinds of routes, whether they were multiple break routes, whether they were deep shot routes, he was able to stick with people because of his footwork, because of his natural quickness. Um he also, when you're talking about the like the catch point, contesting the football, is very aggressive with it. He had a pick against Seattle where he basically just rocked Baldwin got stepped in his way and picked off the pass. He does a great job contesting the ball in the air. He, and part of that is because he keep, he generally speaking is able to keep his eyes on the quarterback, not as well as Marcus Peters. No one does it as well as Marcus Peters, but he's able to keep his eyes generally speaking on the quarterback and he sees the ball coming. He gets his head turned around and he contests. It's very, very it's very, very important to get your head turned around. Otherwise, you end up like some players we've seen with the Chiefs. I mean, you remember Brandon Carr in his heyday was always right there, but he could never get his head turned around. That is not the case with Fuller. He uh, he also, while he hardly ever lined up in press coverage um, and he hardly ever jammed right at the line of scrimmage, he is very physical when receivers give him the opportunity to do so. And he's also physical in a way, generally speaking, not all the time, but generally speaking, in a way that doesn't risk flags. He uh, he, he gets his hand on receivers. He jams them a bit in and out of breaks. He, he's a little handsy. He keeps a hand on them to feel where their route is going. And he does it in a way that doesn't draw flags. And he had one flag in the four games that I watched. And it was a pass interference. 
he he not only doesn't draw flags, but generally speaking, the wide receivers he's covering aren't even complaining that much. And wide receivers always complain. And so you know that he's doing it right if wide receivers aren't even bothering to say, hey, he's holding me or something like that. He he, he does a really, really great job with that. Um, he, he has great awareness of the field, whether he was in man or in zone. He did a very good job uh, seeing the entire field, knowing where their defenders were, um, checking out route combinations. He did a good job switching when when the route combinations called for, you know, with pick plays, etc. He also did a really good job navigating through traffic in pick plays. He did a good job recognizing bubble screens and horizontal passes. He blew up, I think, three or four of them in just those four games. Did a great job with that. Um, his his awareness in zone, I think, could be really, really handy. He's very active, keeps his eyes on the quarterback, but also stays he stays moving and he stays aware of receivers that come into his zone. You can I'll also see him communicating with the rest of the defense before almost every play. Um, he seems to be a really good communicator from everything I've read. He is a, a guy who's worked extremely hard and you could see that he looked very prepared for anything that got thrown at him by the opposing offense, which to me could be wrong here to me indicates a guy who's not just getting by on physical skills, but a guy who has studied the tape. He recognized plays as they developed, which tells me that he watches the film. It tells me he's not a guy who's just looking to get by just kind of, Oh, I'm going to man up on this guy. If I were to criticize Terrence Mitchell, that would be the thing. He doesn't always look prepared for what offenses throw at him. Um, He's also, you know, we didn't want to talk, talk about tackling. He's very willing as a tackler. Um, he's not a great tackler, but he, he's willing to hit hard and he, he wraps up fairly well. Um, he's willing to stick his nose in there, whether it's LeGarrette Blunt that he's trying to tackle or Alshon Jeffrey. Um, there's a gif on my timeline of him making a great hit on Alshon Jeffrey in the open field. He, he's not afraid to, to do that part of it. He's not afraid to play physically at the point of attack. That's, that's important. Uh, it's not the most important thing for a corner, to be honest. I mean, we put up with Peters generally shying away from it a little bit. Um, although Peter will do stuff if he has to. Generally speaking, that's not his game. And we're okay with it because Peters is so great at so many other things. But Fuller does not seem to have a weakness in that area. With regards to hips, he's got smooth hips. He turns and runs with wide receivers well. He can change direction on a dime very well. Um, he occasionally maybe might end up with his back turned to the quarterback. But he, generally speaking, can 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 rotate and move his hips so quickly that he's able to get himself oriented without getting burned and still keeping an eye on the receiver. Um Again, that it basically covers every single aspect of cornerback play he was good at. And again, this isn't just me saying, oh, yeah, yes, I'm a Chiefs fan, so yeah, he must be the best. It's just what's on film, and that's why I keep referencing, you know, objective third parties or whatever you want to say. I personally, I, I don't didn't really have a dog in the fight because I had never reviewed Fuller. I didn't review him as a draft prospect. I came into this blind, and I was so unbelievably impressed with everything that I saw. It was just, uh, yeah, he was, he was better than I could have possibly imagined. Uh, he truly was, he was exceptional. Now, do I think he's going to come in and be, you know, the best corner in the NFL for the chiefs? I don't think so. I would, I, I, I'm trying not to extrapolate to that because that would be, you know, kind of like a too good to be true kind of thing. Right. I just can't see that happening. I mean, we're still cheese fans and I mean, we can't, that, that can't be how it goes. Right. But maybe it does. I don't know. What I know is that he was elite 
in 2017. And to me, unless he takes a massive step backwards, he's going to be a good corner in Kansas City. I do now, as far as what they're going to do next, I really don't know with how aggressive Brett Veach has shown himself to be, which by the way, Brett Veach deserves a ton of respect for making this play happen or making this trade happen. So impressive. Um, getting a guy who can contribute immediately and a third round pick, which is not no small thing in and of itself was just great, great job by him. Um, that that's, that's awesome negotiating. And I just, I cannot believe he was able to snag such a young, talented corner with two years left on his rookie deal. That's so impressive. Um, what, where they go from here, there are a bunch of directions they could go. Uh, the reality is that even if they choose to keep him exclusively at slot corner, uh, slot corners play 75% of the snaps, give or take. And so they could do that and they could go get another corner or, and I'd be interested to see how they go with this because I think the Chiefs think more highly of Darrell Revis than most Chiefs fans do. Frankly, I think more highly of Darrell Revis than most Chiefs fans do. A lot of Chiefs fans have a bad taste in their mouth from Revis not maybe putting forth a good effort on Derrick Henry's last run. Um, but generally speaking in coverage, he was solid. Uh, there was a reason the defense improved once he was there with regards to the, to the pass defense. Um, once he got his feet underneath him. And so I think Revis could do just fine. I think, a, I think a corner trio of Peters, Fuller and Revis does very well. Um, one thing that I would maybe think about doing if I was Bob Sutton would be to have Fuller, be the starter opposite Marcus Peters and then have him slide inside on nickel sets, which again, you know, nickel and dime, you're talking, you know, 70, 75% of the time, have him slide inside and have Revis be the boundary corner, which is kind of similar to what they did with Steven Nelson last year. They would have him slide inside and it'll be interesting because Steven Nelson has been at his best as a nickel corner. And so I, that's another interesting aspect to this. Now Nelson can do both, but he's better as a nickel corner. And so it'll be interesting, you know, does, does Revis get let go? Is Nelson relegated to fourth corner, which, you know, that's good depth. That's very good depth. I, I'm perfectly comfortable going to battle based on what I saw last year with Peters, Fuller, Revis, Nelson, Mitchell. I think that would be if they decide to tender Terrence Mitchell. I think that would be a really solid corner group. It makes me a little nervous relying on Revis to not have a significant drop off for one more year. Personally, I I wouldn't mind seeing them go all in and try to snag another corner and continue being aggressive. And because both Peters and Fuller are signed for such low level deals and you can stagger when you work on their, their extensions, if the plan is to keep them around long term, then you, you can afford to, to pay a guy. Um, you know, I've talked about a keep to leave. I know people have feelings about that, but if he hit the open market, um, you could offer him something to play for a year or two. And he played at a much higher level than Revis did last year. Just something to think about. But really at this point, uh, Peters, Fuller, Revis, I feel way better about than Peters, Revis and Nelson way better. It, it it bumps everyone down to maybe a place they're more comfortable, but we'll see if they even keep Revis. Um, I'm not quite as comfortable with Peters, Fuller, Nelson, 
And that's because, again, I think Revis did pretty well in coverage last year. But this could go so many different directions. And that's the thing. You know, this was the first domino to fall regarding cap space for the Chiefs. Um, they are now officially no longer in the in the red. They've got like $9 million in space now. And that's only going to go up because they are going to make a few tough moves, I assume, here to try to upgrade that defense. But the defense already, make no mistake, um, barring a massive letdown by Fuller next year, the defense got a really good improvement and that is just about all we could ask for this early in the offseason. So, you know, that that concludes this emergency session of the Chief in the North. I appreciate you guys listening as always. I'm going to have a supersized kind of offseason plan episode at some point, although that kind of gets a little <laughs> fuzzier. It'll be like an offseason plan from here now that Alex has been traded and, and they've done something to upgrade corner. Um, as always, make sure if you don't to subscribe on whatever method you use to, to listen, it makes a difference. Make sure to rate review and, you know, well, only if you say nice things, cause otherwise I'll be sad you don't want to do that to me. Um, I'll have to explain to my kids why I'm sad. Don't be that guy. Anyway, do those things. It makes a difference. I appreciate you guys listening. And again, it is a good week to be a chiefs fan. This has been the chief of the North, the land of 10,000 takes. Thanks for listening guys. And we will chat again very, very soon. <laughs>